You're listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat, the podcast that specializes in multicultural education and classroom strategies. I'm your host, Jebe Edmonds. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cultural Curriculum Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jebba Edmonds, and I am so excited to have in the guest chair today one of my dear, dear friends, Dr. Veronica Killion. And I just wanted to share with you really quickly about Dr. Killion. She is the assistant professor in the Graduate School of Education at Lesley University. She also is in the Teaching in Early Childhood and Arts Education programs. She specializes in the revitalization of educational domains as practiced among the Basa people of Cameroon. Although an art explorer, she particularly plays with cameras, geographical information systems, GIS, and graphic novels to reclaim and creatively document stories of knowledge transmission. I am so excited for our chat today. Veronica, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me with you, Jabba, and uh, so thrilled to be here. Thank you. I'm so happy you're here too, my dear. Uh, just a little background of your story. Can you share with our audience what it means to have cultural pedagogy and understanding that in multicultural education? Such a deep question. What does it mean to have culturally relevant pedagogy and implement it in education? You know, lots of Billings have been talking about it since the 90s, and we've had other authors who have also done remixes of it. And by remixes, I mean really adding on to what the literature has been saying, that in order for us to do culturally relevant pedagogy and do right by the students, we need to learn about ourselves. We need to learn how we teach, how we came into teaching, and also understand the impact that our upbringing has on us as educators. And if you go in every in any classroom, you will see that manifest throughout the pedagogy that everybody uses. And in my classroom, students usually say, it's a shock when they come into my classroom. And I say, imagine like going into a different country. You know, you experience culture shock and then you have to really adapt and figure out how am I going to be flexible in order to fully immerse myself into this culture. Same in the classroom. You come in, you meet a new teacher. Then you have to understand how it is that they teach so that you can be successful. So that's what that's what it is for me. Awesome. And I love how you say that shock, you know, it is that kind of a wake up, like, yeah, you're in a different environment. And can you describe for us that discomfort, how your students and how educators need to be comfortable in that discomfort in order to move forward in this work? So the discomfort, it comes with our cognitive ability. I love to tell stories and I love to build stories. So that's how I teach. And I teach using 
what I'm calling trickery, which is the pedagogy that is used in my tribe, the Basa people of Cameroon, to teach. And it's when you know that you're not learning that you are actually learning because everything happens so unexpectedly. Then we are left to really our sense of wonder, like where am I going to be wondering in order to fully get this experience that the teacher is offering? And it's not about students coming in as empty vessels, but it's rather how do we, the way I frame it is that consider my class as your professional development. What do you want to learn? Where do you want to go? And align really your goal for yourself into this classroom with the objectives of this classroom and get the skills that you need. By the time you leave my classroom, I tell students, by the time you leave my classroom, I want you to be able to have the skill set that you need to really deal with any situation that comes your way. And that's the preparation that I promise to any student who comes in my classroom. And the choice is theirs to decide whether or not they're going to play. Decide who they're going to be. Mm -hmm. And in just how you said, our students aren't empty vessels. They have something to bring to each person that they meet. And I really love that you are empowering your students to say, what do you want to learn? What do you want to gain out of this experience? And can you share with our audience your background in the Basa people. I love how you talked about your great-grandmother. She was your first teacher to make you take charge of your learning. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. So my great-grandmother, oh, a dear, I can still feel her spirit with me. The way she taught me was really, so the way it happened first is observation. First thing you observe. You assess, okay, what's going on here? What's working? What's not working with me? And I learned with her in the field. We planted things together. We planted different crops together. And the crops that was my favorite was peanut. I, as a child, I loved peanut. Like You cannot get me away from it, no matter how hard you try. So I went every day with her and watched her do it and The observation is also a way of acquiring skills. Nobody has to tell you. You observe and then you repeat. So that's what happened. When I was ready and I I felt like I was ready, I was, let, let me put it this way, as a child, I was like, I am just tired of sitting down and doing nothing. I want to do something. So when that desire came, I just asked my great grandmother if I could also have do the same as her and of course she said yes it's like she knew I was ready she had all the stuff she just like here it is go do your thing (laughs) magically happened so that's what it is first step observation and then you practice you have your own parcel you practice you practice how how much water is too much water how many grains do I how many seed do I put in the or the words are escaping me in English. Um, you know, when you prepare the soil oh, and... Oh. Tilling? Tilling the Is soil? It? Yes, yes, no? yes. Yeah, yeah. So how many grains do you put in so that you get a strong plant? 
So you, you have to learn the land, the ways of the land in order to know what to do. And, you know, you practice like that three, four, five times. And when you have your first harvest, that's when you can really assess your degree of learning. That's amazing. I love how you talked about observation, testing things out, and to really analyze what happens when comes harvest time to see how you did in that whole process. Can you also share with our audience, Dr. Kilian, how that changes from the hands-on experiential learning with your ancestral heritage to the schooling that you had to go through throughout the world. You mm. studied abroad in Ivory Coast and France and the United States. What's the duplicity there or lack thereof that you've observed? Mm. I know I'm throwing you a lot know? at you. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. I didn't have a choice and I didn't like it. The only time I had a choice was writing my dissertation. I decided on what I was going to study, how I was going to study it. And really, it brought me back and reinforced really this pedagogy that was made in me that I got from my great-grandmother. Is that this is how you go into the community, you observe what they're doing, you get acquainted with the people. You learn the language and then you figure out, okay, what can we do together? How can we learn? They teach you and you teach them. So that idea of reciprocity is that in the classroom, I am a student as much as I am a teacher. And I tell my student, the more I know, the more I realize that I know nothing. Oh, isn't that true with all of us educators? It's like a new set of students always makes you learn something new and you're constantly reflecting, you know, and no lesson, no anything is ever the same, no matter how many times you repeat it. Oh, I love that, Veronica, how you said that. Yeah, no matter all you know, you know nothing. You know, that does. That sounds like an African proverb, too. I'm about to look it up. that. I have to say, audience, this just warms my heart, this conversation. I've known Veronica for 17 years. We met in a tiny little town. Well, not so tiny, but it's small. (laughs) Duluth, Minnesota. She was a director of intercultural services at Lake Superior College. And I was a director of the African American Cultural Center for the Duluth Public School District. And we came up with this idea to help the Duluth community at large to learn and understand Africans in the diaspora, especially us as first generation African immigrants. And it was called celebrate Africa. And we had lots of food. We had college kids came in and showcased their artwork. They were dancing. I had even younger students that I had a little African dance club after school and we did a little dance and we hired drummers. And Veronica and I had all these dreams to continue to dispel the myth and share our knowledge of what our families have instilled in us, me from Liberia and Dr. Kilian from Cameroon, and broaden it to a wider audience. And I have to sit back and just smile because we had 
all of these dreams and check marks. And I feel like we've checked it all, Dr. Killian. I oh, mean, yes, we have. Oh, just of all of our hopes and dreams that long ago and to see it come into fruition tenfold. I mean, you are educating future educators with your work and having them, you know, instilled in your skills and your knowledge of learning your ancestral language. That's huge, especially in this day and age where so many of us are trying to assimilate and leave our cultures at the door. I love how you are reclaiming that. And I don't even want to say reclaiming because it's not like you had to reclaim anything. It's who you were. It's already been in you. But the fact that you are putting that out there for your future educators in your classes, as well as through the world of what you have on your YouTube channel of the ancestral language and how students over back home in Cameroon are making theatrical plays and writing. And it's just so fascinating. Can you share a little bit more? (laughs) I'm just so proud of you, my friend. Just so proud. (laughs) Save time and effort with our weekly cross-cultural connections newsletter. Every week, you'll learn more timely strategies and resources to help you engage cross-culturally at work and at home. Go to jebaedmonds.com forward slash resources forward slash email signup. That is J-E-B-E-H-E-D-M-U-N-D-S dot com forward slash resources forward slash email signup. Oh, thank you for those highlights and remembrance. So the work that I do around language really came out of my own desire to know who I was because, you know, when you travel and you lived in so many places, you tend to forget who you are because, you know, we are caught up in that assimilation mode and I have to survive. And in order for me to do this, I have to leave myself at the door and I have to play so many tricks on top of the tricks that life itself is playing, that it becomes really hard. So um, at age 34, I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to relearn my language as part of my as part of my research. And through that process of learning the language, this pedagogy of trickery got even reinforced because my father, very, very, I did, like he loves to play tricks. <laughs> And you don't even realize that you got up in the trick. And the idea is always to outsmart the trickster. And my father, and in the conversation, and with my limited knowledge of the language, point blank, you are not a bassa. I'm like, okay, dad, how do I come back from this? The play in it is that you have to find ways to argue about a topic that's dear to your heart. So that's how my journey started. And then I asked myself if people, it's only Africans in the diaspora who are feeling that, this feeling of not belonging, or are people back home also feeling that? 
So I decided then to travel and to travel back home and ask the question to youth. I met women of my age with young children who express even themselves their desire to reclaim the language so that they can pass it on. And we were, you know, because of colonization and everything that has happened, we were forced to leave our home countries and get an education outside of our home country. And this idea of coming back, but yet realizing that so much time has passed and so much has been lost, is really what drove me to create ways of spaces where youth, children, grandparents could come in and really playfully relearn the language. And so that led to, you know, we took traditional tales and we flipped them into contemporary time. One of the funniest stories is the kids created a character who was half panther and half bee. Interesting combination, yeah. Just the imagination of how this idea of trickery even find themselves in the way that we tell stories, in the way that we reclaim those stories, and in the way that we let them play out in our contemporary time. So once they created those stories, they get to play them out to the community and they decide how to do it. In the YouTube channel, you will find many ways in which they do it. And sometimes they get tricked in the process of it. So there are stories within stories, but yet the idea, this pride of I'm doing this for a purpose and I'm going to get through it. Let's do it. And so you will see many ways where children are learning the language with the elders. They're learning through songs. They're learning really the intonation, which is very key because you may want to say, you know, I want to eat and you end up saying something else because the intonation is not correct. So that's really where my heart lies. And it's important to have these conversations because to link it back to teachers is that you are your teaching. Yes. I grew up in this environment of trickery. And trickery, no, that's what I know and that's how I teach. And so when students come into the classroom and they come to learn how to teach students who look different than them or who may look like them, but have a different background, they have to understand that there is a change that needs to happen, a cognitive shift that needs to happen so that we are open to learning through different ways. Because once you have, you develop that ability, when you are in the classroom, you will be able to play it backwards so that the students that you have in front of you are able to receive what you are giving. But if you're not willing to receive in the classroom, not give it back after. No, you can't. And I just love that because within African culture, trickery is woven into the fabric, like you said, of our storytelling that, you know, there are relatives, your parents, your dad always keeping you on your toes, you know, and I love how you put it, you have to fight for your heart, fight for your identity, not in a way of causing harm or any friction, but to say, yeah, I know who I am. You say I'm not Basa. Well, let me show you and prove that I am Basa. And I know your dad's like, aha, that's what I wanted my daughter to say. I want her to have no one else tell her who she is not. Even me saying she's not, 
huh, let me trick her and make her stand up on her toes and go, "Uh uh-uh, I am Basa, and let me prove to you that I am. And I love that because there's so much of that give and take in African societies, and it's a way of you having that understanding, but also that understanding of seeing your elder, seeing your ancestor in a way of saying, wow, I know we're never going to be equal. (laughs) My mom used to always say, you and I, we're not equal. (laughs) She's going to be mad when I say that. But it's to that point of that respect of understanding. Yes, you are my elder. I respect you. But I'm also going to go toe to toe with you in a way to understand my identity and who I am. Because I know your parents, my parents, grandparents, great grandparents, they wanted to instill who you are and the people you belong to. And I feel, Veronica, that a lot of us in the diaspora, I grew up here my whole life and I came when I was just a toddler. There is that kind of, where do I belong? Where's my place? Since I've been gone for so long, will people reclaim me back? You know, that's always in the back of your mind um, as a first generation immigrant. Um, So just to kind of let our audience kind of understand kind of that shift that people who like you, you frequently back and forth to your home country. For me, I haven't been back yet. So my experience and perspective will feel different. And I really also love the advice you have with our educators about reclaiming your own story and sharing that with your students. Because yes, the students also need to know the human side of their educators as well. Is there an example or a quick exercise that our teachers listening can do like right now or even tomorrow about their story? A quick thing that they can do, if you have any relative that is an elder, go find out what's their story. What were they doing when they were kids? You know, if it's, uh, if it's for example, your mother's mother. You have so many stories and so many things that you can learn. So being curious about one's own story, and everybody has a story. It's not just immigrants who have a story. Everybody has a story. And how you go about finding who you are is that. Very simple. Pick any relative, even your mother, even your father, your uncle, whoever your favorite relative is, that you can go and you call and say, hey, I have so many questions. I don't know where to start, but I know you will give me those answers. So that curiosity about the self is really simplest things. And from there, write short stories that you can read to your kids in the classroom and ask them to do the same. And by you having gone through that process, you will be also able to guide them through that process and not go, nothing against lesson plans that are available out there. But if you can create your own, go through that experience, you can do so much more because you are able then to anticipate what are some of the hurdles that the kids might come across. You have a better preparation because you have gone through that experience and you can speak to them from your experience rather than speaking to them about someone else's experience. That's what it is, culturally relevant pedagogy. Share as much about yourself, your culture, as you are asking me to share. Stop taking someone else's story to illustrate 
whatever is happening, we all have stories and we can use them to enrich the classroom is just going through that experience ourselves. That's sometimes what prevent us from taking those steps to improving ourselves and our pedagogies. Yeah. Learn about yourself. So true. Learn about yourself. And I love that how you have the intergenerational person to ask. Let me just ask and go from there. And like you said, write it down because yeah, we can only store so much. And we forget and you get all excited, but writing those those stories and questions down is so powerful. And you're right with your students. They can totally do that too at home as well. Veronica, my sweet friend, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with us and having our audience learn more about what cultural relevant pedagogy is. And I can't wait to share your work in our show notes below. So that's all I have for you today, friends. And please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on this podcast so more people can find the Cultural Curriculum Chat. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Cultural Curriculum Chat with Jebba Edmonds. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We will be here same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye.